along to Edie's Net Zero Business Podcast, our spin-off from the Sustainable Business Covered series focusing on the growing need for businesses to align their strategies with climate science by setting net zero emissions goals. Senior reporter Sarah George, and I'll be presenting this episode today, so a very warm welcome to you. We've been running this series of podcasts since shortly after the UK set its net zero target in law for 2050. Since that moment, more and more businesses and public sector organisations have been attempting to get ahead of the legislatory curve by strengthening carbon and energy strategies and pledging to become net zero well before the 2050 deadline. This series sees Edie speaking with the trendsetters and trailblazers that have set such targets to get insight on how they were developed and how they're being delivered. So each of these episodes features one in-depth interview with an organisation that has committed to a pre-2050 net zero strategy. Yes, I'm delighted to be back in the virtual Edie podcast studio for the third net zero business podcast of 2021. With COP26 fast approaching, 2021 looks set to be another busy year for net zero news and announcements. And crucially, the expectation for all organisations to bridge the gap between talk and action, between long-term targets and mid-term and short-term actions is growing larger by the day. With this in mind, it's a pleasure to bring you this episode featuring a senior representative for one of the so-called Big Four professional services firms, Our guest is Steve Varley, EY's Global Vice Chair for Sustainability. Under Steve's leadership, EY achieved carbon neutrality in 2020 and is targeting carbon negativity in 2021. In our discussion, Steve talks about the pros and cons of offsetting, the jargon around carbon accounting, and the importance of engagement and collaboration, among other things. So without further ado, let's hear that interview in full. Here is my discussion with Steve Varley from EY. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast, Steve. How are you? Uh, Very well, Sarah, and thanks for the invitation. I'm a big fan of Edie and I'm a big fan of your work, so I'm delighted to be able to contribute. I'm delighted to to have you on. And whereabouts are you calling from today? I notice you've got a very fancy background of a a forest, but I'm presuming you're not sitting out out on top of a tree. (laughs) Uh, I'm actually in London today uh, in the UK, and yeah, it's a wonderful background. I guess uh, this is all part of what we've announced and maybe what we'll talk about in terms of our own climate ambition. So this Amazonian forest background, I think, is very fitting for our discussion. For sure. And yeah, I wanted to start with with touching on we're going to get into the climate strategy specifically, um, but I wanted to get a handle as to how that's being delivered and where it sits. So you're global vice chair of sustainability. Um, so how does how is your team laid out across EY? Yeah, so you're right. I'm the global vice chair for sustainability. It's the first time that we've ever had this role. It's a new role that we created as part of us stepping up our game in the broad area of delivering sustainability services to our clients. 
I report directly into our global chairman and CEO, which I guess is a sign of how important we see this agenda, not just internally and what EY does across our 300,000 people, but in the services we deliver to our clients. So I'm responsible for our own internal agenda, which we might come on to, but most importantly, and the bit that gives me and the team the most energy is working with clients to help them create value from sustainability. Uh, and by creating more value from sustainability, they will hopefully become more sustainable and we create a virtuous circle. So the big focus of me and the team, Sarah, is the external world, market and our clients. So so sort of how big is the team and where, where are you guys based? Well, if I count up the, the team across all of our 300,000 people, we have several hundred focused on climate change and sustainability. And that's anyone from teams looking at um, mergers and acquisitions in this area, looking at renewables investment in this area, looking at the tax implications, carbon tax, um, climate and carbon adjustment border taxes. And that's before we get into the big agendas like uh, ESG reporting and helping our, the companies we audit present their ESG reports. Mm. So lots of different touch points and areas of work there, but the one we obviously want to focus on for today, it being the Net Zero Business podcast, um, is on climate and carbon. Um, so I was recapping on what EY has been doing so far, and I remember um, covering that the company became carbon neutral in 2020. So I wanted to ask how you achieved that um, and how you are planning to go beyond that for what I understand is a carbon negative target for, for this this calendar year. Sure, and maybe for your listeners, and because the, the language is sometimes complicated, I think, in this whole area. Maybe it's just worthwhile taking an even bigger step back. So you're right in identifying that in 2020, we became carbon neutral globally for EY. That's all the member firms that are part of EY across scopes one, two, and three. And we might want to come back to that scope three position, Sarah, because as a professional services firm, a majority of our emissions are scope three, and for EY, that means a majority of our emissions are actually air travel. So we became carbon neutral in 2020, but we also started a conversation with our global board on what more we could do and what more we should do on this agenda. And it became clear to us that even if we and every other business in the world became carbon neutral, there'd still be a high chance that collectively business would not deliver on, a, on the Paris commitment. So uh, we discussion as a global board and what more should we do and looking at other stakeholders looking at other great leading companies like Microsoft we concluded that we must become carbon negative so at the back end of January 2021 we announced an ambition to be carbon negative in 2021 to be net zero in 2025 and to get there we reduce our absolute emissions by 40 percent against an FY19 baseline and from that also do that in line with the science-based target and it's those package of four measures that we felt we needed to do we're a pretty simple business at the end of the day Sarah and if we can't do it well then I don't think we set the right leadership dynamic for everybody else as well so that was our story. Mm. And and you mentioned there that there's there's a lot of reduction work to be done through to 2020 
five. So has it been about offsetting to date? And you mentioned air travel there. So I'd love to hear a bit more about the specifics of, of what's been done to get there. Sure, sure. Um, so we've been reducing our emissions as an organisation for many years now. Uh, and that's been anything from making sure that we have policies that make people more thoughtful and mindful when they pursue activities that create greenhouse gas emissions in abroad, not just uh, uh, CO2 emissions, but greenhouse gases in abroad. Uh, and then we've also been looking closely at our offsetting strategy, investment in nature-based solutions and removals of CO2 uh, with some leading technology to see what could be achieved there. But I guess fundamentally what we're talking about here, Sarah, is doing something that's quite hard, which is changing people's behaviours. Mm. Changing people's behaviours so they're more mindful about their impact on the planet and take the opportunity to create value, not just for EY, financial value for EY, but take a very broad view of our stakeholders, including recognising the planet's a stakeholder, society's a stakeholder. And I think once you take that expansive view of stakeholders, for many of our people, they start to realise why they can make a big impact and then they start to change their behaviours. So we've done quite a lot of work, but a lot more work to come internally to help our people make decisions where they emit less CO2. And that's definitely a big part of our strategy, people-based change to create value for multiple stakeholders. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. And I'm sure that some of that there would fall into scope three. And you touched on that this is important. Um, so I think it's worth coming back to it with its own separate um, question. So I wanted to ask, so what sources of emissions get accounted for by EY as as a scope three? You've mentioned travel, for example, and, and client emissions. Sure. Like, well, like many of your listeners, uh, we use the greenhouse gas protocol document uh, and that outlines over I think over 150 pages worth of definition of scope three um, so for EY that's business travel transportation waste disposal it's a pretty broad bucket but for EY from our analysis we know that the biggest part of our scope three comes from business travel and actually specifically airline usage and air travel mm -hmm. so that's really been a big focus for us now I want to be clear that we're not saying that flying is bad. Uh, we need to fly for our business. We need to fly to deliver the exceptional client service that our clients demand. Uh, we need to fly to make sure that we deliver the right audit quality. That's a huge part of our business. And we also need to fly to make sure we keep growing our business, keep winning in the marketplace. And our clients demand that we fly and that, that feels appropriate to us. But what we want to do is get people to make more mindful decisions. What we're not saying to our people is banning flying. What we are saying is there's many alternatives, including the world of Zoom and Microsoft Teams that we're all in today due to the pandemic. Mm -hmm. We made a big investment in even more technology, especially technology that allows us to collaborate internally and with our clients to create, to be creative to make sure people can come together and build relationships. So we invested a lot in that technology and we'd really like our people to make use of it. And by doing so, make sure that we deliver the right quality service, uh, keep our business growing, but also make better decisions for the planet. Mm, I've definitely seen a lot of re reviewed transport 
strategies um, as a result of this. I don't mean like citywide ones. I mean policies on company cars and company flights and things like that. So I'm sure you're not alone and that a lot of people listening will be looking at the same thing. Yeah, there's a, a nice pathway, I think, is developing, especially for professional services firms in this area. You know, the reality is in FY19, which is our baseline year, uh, for scope three, that made up 85% of our total emissions mm. and 75% were from business travel across all scopes. So once you have a footprint like that, it's actually quite easy to identify where you need to focus. You need to help people make better decisions about traveling and definitely better decisions about flying. So that has been a focus and that will be an even bigger focus as we look to deliver that 40% reduction in absolute emissions from our FY19 baseline to FY25. That is fundamental to EY's uh, advanced and progressive carbon ambition. I was going to come on to that because we've talked about scope three and we've talked about offsetting and we've talked about the difference between carbon neutral, carbon negative and net zero, which are all buzzwords. But another one is obviously science based targets. And there's been a lot of research going on into how many net zero targets are backed up with a science based target. So why, in your opinion, is it so important that these climate ambitions are backed up, up with this science based target with, in your case, this 40 percent? Really? Good question. Um, I think for all of us, we re recognise that science has really sh uh, shone a strong light in this area. And we are keen to follow the science and the math to make sure that we're doing the right thing. And this is what we'd advise our clients, so much so that we've put together a science-based target and we'll even take the step now of having the science-based target initiative formally ratify that we've done the right thing here. Fundamentally, what we'd be saying to clients, and this applies to ourselves, is you have to follow the science. And you also have to be aware that uh, many are interested in finding examples of greenwashing, where organisations say one thing, but they're not really fully committed to the outcome that will deliver a Paris Agreement reduction in CO2. So we're really keen to make sure we follow the science and we're really keen to have it validated by a third party and in this case, it'll be the science-based target initiative. And then just just lastly, you've touched many times here about the importance of addressing clients' emissions and how ultimately when you put all of your clients' emissions together, they're going to be far greater than, than yours and that you have this engagement work going on on, on science-based targets. Um, so I wanted to dive a bit deeper into that and ask what else engagement looks like for you and I understand that you are looking at like an engagement focused approach rather than I know some companies have been yeah cutting contracts for ex for example or or doing stricter exclusions policies. Yeah, and that's a great uh, question, Sarah, and very topical at the moment. Uh, I'll actually expand it even more than that because we also have a group of companies that we engage with, which is our suppliers, and as part of our carbon ambition, we also published a multi-point action plan. And in that multi-point action plan, we made a commitment to get 75% of our suppliers by value to match our net zero commitment. Uh, and so we're gonna be working with those suppliers to make sure that they have uh, the right actions in place to reduce carbon dioxide as well from their perspective. And we're really, really resolute about this. We see that we've got a big role with our clients, which I'll come on to, 
Uh, but even more than that, we have a big role in the overall value chain that we're part of. And that means we have to help our suppliers hit a net zero target as well. But you mentioned clients. And as I said, right at the start of the podcast, that's a majority of my time and focus is on helping clients change so they can create more value from sustainability. And by creating value, get to become more sustainable. And we see that as a kind of a virtuous circle, uh, once you get more value, you become more sustainable. Being more sustainable should create more value. That's our starting point in our connections with our clients. And I want to be really clear to everybody that we see our role here is helping our clients. We want to help our clients, even the major emitters, even the major extractive industries, even those we know that create a lot of CO2 and greenhouse gases. Our role is to help. We're making and have made significant investments so that we can help our clients. So we're going to put forward a position, especially to those organizations that have larger emissions because of the nature of the work they can do, that they should work with someone like EY to make sure that they are not contributing to what could be a climate catastrophe. So we're here to help and we want everyone to know about that. Great. Well, we've covered so many of the big sticking points and the key topics, but that's all the time I have this morning, Steve. Thank you so much for coming on our Net Zero Business podcast. Thanks once again for the invitation and well done to you and ED for doing such great work. It's a fantastic website and one that I use uh, nearly every day. So thank you for that. So thank you once again to Steve and ED will, of course, be keeping a keen eye on EY's next sustainability announcements. Of course, the net zero movement has been gathering pace far beyond the walls of ED and EY recently. And with that in mind, it's time for the net zero news in brief part of this podcast. Over the past month, there have been some big developments, as always, in the net zero conversation, even with COVID-19 still being very much front of mind. So I'm going to pull out three top stories for you now to get you up to speed. Firstly, we are heading to the US for a big policy announcement. The Climate Leadership and Environmental Action for Our Nation's Future Act, also known as the Clean Act, was introduced to the US House of Representatives in the first week of March. It's headlined by a legally binding net zero target for 2050. It's early days and the Act will need to pass committees, then the full House and then the Senate. Meanwhile, in UK policymaking, the government has published a new industrial strategy after archiving the old strategy. The old strategy was partly archived over concerns that it would be misaligned with the UK's net zero target, given that it was developed in line with the original Climate Change Act target of an 80% cut in emissions by 2050 against the 1990 baseline. The measures set out in the new strategy outline plans to support 80,000 UK construction and manufacturing jobs over the next 30 years, while cutting emissions from the sectors by two-thirds in 15 years. In the longer term, the government believes that a 90% reduction in emissions can be delivered by these sectors by 2050 against a 2018 baseline. This means that the residual emissions can then be inset or offset. And coming to the private sector for our third net zero news in brief part, there's been a lot of announcements from the finance sector. Building on a flurry of commitments on financed emissions from the US's largest banks last month, Brunel Pensions Partnership outlined commitments to halve financed emissions by 2030 and bring them to net zero by 2050. Swiss RE then pledged to stop coal financing in the OECD by 2030 and globally by 2040. 
but it stopped short of setting a net zero financed emissions target. It claims that it's pledged to reduce the carbon intensity of financed emissions by 35% by 2025 is aligned with the Paris Agreement's 1.5c path. Before I sign off for this episode, I'd like to take a moment to remind you of Edie's next online event, which is on a topic that will be crucial to the net zero transition, and that is the circular economy. On Thursday, March 25th, from 1pm through 4pm GMT, we're hosting three virtual circular economy inspiration sessions. Across that afternoon, we're going to hear from experts from organisations like Zero Waste Scotland, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation and IKEA. There are going to be presentations, panel debates and interactive Q&A sessions. The sessions are ticketed and tickets give you access to all three sessions, plus the ability to stream the event on demand once it is finished. Each ticket costs £49 plus VAT. You can find more on the full agenda for this event and register for a ticket at ed.net forward slash webinars. That's ed.net forward slash webinars. In the meantime, please do subscribe to and follow the ED podcast portfolio wherever you get your podcasts if you enjoyed today's episode. We're on SoundCloud, iTunes and Spotify. And for more Net Zero news, our website and newsletter will be your go-to. The sign-up button is in the top right-hand corner of ed.net. But until next time, it's a goodbye from me. Goodbye.